0: It's a fascinating vision, this uh, vision that Zechariah is given. He didn't make it up, he didn't write it, it uh, came to him, it was involuntary and uh, it was difficult, I think. Being a prophet, uh, a canonical prophet of the Old Testament was uh, very much like a license to be neurotic uh, and very much like neurotic people are engaged in transference where unhelpfully images from the past of people and situations transfer onto the present um, Zachariah has that sort of experience but his transference is uh, more difficult because they're images from the future which he's never been to and can't quite comprehend which he has to then fit into the present again and he's constrained by those those images and they don't quite fit. The shoe doesn't quite the foot doesn't quite fit the shoe. The image doesn't quite fit his theology. And so Zechariah is a priest and his images very much center on temple and Jerusalem and the the familiar. But if you read the book of Zechariah and I encourage you to do that sometime, it's a weird book full of lots of stuff that is just but it's a it, it's a book where a man is in the wrong time and he's seeing images of our time and uh, he is blown away by that. They're they're envelope breaking images that just have to be expressed in his terms and his theology of his time. So he's got a difficult task I think you'd see and I hope you can understand that as we, we look at these things that there's a little bit of poet's license but now we're reading this book as people for whom these images are our possessions and we live in this time that Zechariah spoke about. The first image, I just pick up on this wonderful phrase in chapter 2 and verses 1 to 5 where he says that Jerusalem is going to be a city without walls or a village without walls and you can see the imagery there, there's Zechariah has a picture of some young bloke going around Jerusalem with, I don't know, some sort of measuring line. Uh, The architects of the ancient world would have used them, the civil engineers of the ancient world and and he's surveying Jerusalem and for the average Jew that would have been understandable. Jerusalem was the pinnacle of the earth, it was God's city. There was no other place where God dwelt and uh, it was a magnificent city that had been through devastation and come back from nowhere and and this young man wants to go out and find just how big the city is he wants to get the bearings it's a little bit like we're shifting at the moment and you know all of a sudden you've got to find a tape measure to find out whether your fridge will fit the new cavity and uh, whether you can fit that sofa in that little room or what have you or that bed and Uh, But it's that sort of inquiry that this young man is on and the one angel says, go and stop him, stop him doing that. You know, it's irrelevant because the Lord of hosts is not into statics. He doesn't measure his city by millimetres or to the centimetre or the kilometre. It's a different sort of understanding of the city of God. It's a city where the boundary is the Spirit of God himself. And the glory of God, the high point, is the very presence of God undiluted, his glory in the city. Now that is the image that Zechariah has, or the angel gives Zechariah, of us. That's the sort of city that we live in. But you know, a funny sort of madness happens to Christians when the environment changes, when the atmosphere gets a little warm. And we've seen that in our society in recent times, have we not? You know, you you see alarming things on the horizon. Even this last week we see the faith of our own Prime Minister uh, belittled in comedy shows. It's not exactly a friendly environment. We we see our RI teachers accused of teaching xenophobia. Uh, We see the Safe Schools Programme teaching children that abnormality is normal. It's getting really interesting to be a Christian in Victoria, is it not? Now that's the environment in which we live and when Christians live in that environment, you have two tendencies. One is to go and just cut your losses, to measure the statics, the metrics, how big we are, to huddle the coals together, to follow the rush of saints inside the boundaries rather than push out. But that's not how God sees us. He sees us as, you could say, dynamite. We are problematic for the world, that's why they kick up against us. And it's very easy to to take the view that maybe, gee, only 10% of Australians go to church maybe we should just focus on our stuff leave the world to someone else but that's not the image that God has he has a dynamic image and his idea of the church is wherever the spirit of God is that's the temple it's very new testament is it not it's astonishing that we ourselves are the temple of God and wherever you go this week whether it's to school, to university, to the workplace, wherever you ply your trade, there the Spirit of God goes and He is using you. And He's doing His thing because He hasn't finished His thing. He has plans for this country. He has plans for this world. Who would have thought, those of you who grew up in the 60s, in the midst of the Cultural Revolution and Chairman Mao, that in that same country today there are more born-again Christians than ever lived in the whole of the 20th century. Who'd have thunk it? (laughs) And now God is doing something in Iran, of all places, the great enemy Persia. And Iranians are turning to Christ in this country like they've caught the flu. And you can now get theological courses taught in Farsi, even just around the corner. God is not finished with his world. And that's the image that we need to take. We shouldn't be wasting our time counting church statistics as if this is the end and these are the bounds. Whether we've got more members in this church than the next church or the next denomination... That's not the issue because God has not finished with this place and these people. We are a city without walls. He is the boundary and he determines where that boundary will settle, not popular media. The second image we have here is of a very interesting scene in Zechariah 8 which... It's a lovely rustic scene, wouldn't you think? It's a, a picture of a marketplace. And it's, it's a good news scene, really, because it's saying that there's going to be a whole lot of old people in the new kingdom. And for Jews, that was a, a, a sign of hope. If people could grow to an old age, well, it meant that Jerusalem wasn't going to be overrun again. But this is a, a, is a, is a picture of what God desires in the culture of his community. This is an attitude and a value that God hears. I would say this is a picture where old men and old women sit in the streets and kids are playing. It's a city of an intergenerational people. It's a city of a church without strata. What do I mean by that? Well, I've had a lot of experience of churches with strata. That tends to be how we organize our churches these days. We're very much into geology, <laughs> this strata is laid upon this strata is laid upon this strata but that's not God's image. Years ago I remember uh, doing some work for the Baptist Union and we we're looking to plant a church in a new suburb. Uh, there was a prime opportunity to get into at the ground floor and, and start a fellowship. We just needed Christians to uh, to move in there and start living there or ministering in that community and and so I had to go around and try and spruik up a bit of interest in our, our local churches. I went to one particularly large and successful church one uh, evening service and they said, oh our, all our dynamic young people come to this service. I thought that's great that I could probably recruit a few out of that one and and uh, I got to sit up on the stage next to the, the senior pastor who was a friend and I knew him well and I watched the people come in and uh, it, it was remarkable, they were, I, I sort of like watching this, the cast of Baywatch walk in, there. it was summer and they're all sun tanned and looked fantastic, there was more you know uh, testosterone in that, in that building than you, you need and I was looking out uh, and seeing seeing this thing. I thought I'm in the right place, <laughs> and uh, uh, not that I fitted in. But um, then the MC got up after the first barrage of songs, and you know he, uh, he, he 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 had all these announcements. I couldn't help but notice that all the announcements were about eating. It was fascinating and there was this particular group and they all had their great names. Uh, The something or other group was meeting after church and uh, meet out here, hope you bought your $2 because we're going for pizza. Next one was, you know, we're going uh, to have a barbecue at so-and-so's place. If you're a part of this group, it's next Friday night. Don't forget to, you know, dress accordingly. Uh, I don't know how you dress for a barbecue, but anyway, it was... And it went on strata after strata and uh, then all of a sudden... His tone changed and he, he was very funny, very witty and uh, I thought, this guy is in the right job. But then his tone changed and his face dropped and he said, oh, by the way, uh, I've got to announce that it's with sadness that I announce that uh, you know, our thoughts are with um, the Wilson family uh, on the passing this week of their mother. The senior pastor reached over and tugged him on his Hawaiian shirt and uh, and he said, that's father. Oh, he said, oh, I'm sorry, the passing of your father. He didn't know these people. They're actually sitting right there. And then he said, our thoughts and prayers are really with you. And I think anyone with any sense would have said, I bet. That's not the vision the vision is of a community where people know each other and they count regardless of age and stage that's the vision of God where people have an identity and they're known and they're loved and they're cherished they don't qualify by their sex appeal I was in another church my own my own first church many years ago where I was taught this message in a pretty sound way. Uh, I was the 12th pastor that this church had had in 25 years. They weren't a particularly happy bunch. (laughs) In fact, this church was formed on the basis of three sisters and their families. And back in the dim dark ages, sister one was to be married to the only eligible Christian in the area. Walter. And right before they were about to tie the knot, Walter broke off the engagement with sister number one and married sister number three. And yet they still kept on coming to church. <laughs> Our church had three doors. <laughs> and it had three sections. <laughs> and on Sunday morning, after I finished the last hymn, I'd have to choose which door to bolt to to shake hands with which part of the family tree. Because they wouldn't dare go through the same door as it. But there they were, out in the hills, bearing the emblem of Christ. <laughs> and I thought, you yeah, know, it's high time we got together. No, I couldn't force them to bury the hatchet. But I said, why don't we have a church social? They had not done anything social at all in 25 years. I said, let's have a, for one idea, let's have a, a variety night. Just bring along any act. Do it, we'll put it on the roster and we'll just entertain each other. And tentatively, they did. And we had uh, some Dad and Dave skits. We had a very ancient lady, an ex-Eloquition teacher, Reed Byron. Brilliantly. But in the corner... The church secretary was a social worker with Community Service Victoria and he had this gent with him, a young fellow who was uh, about to go to court and he wasn't allowed to be out of the vision of this particular social worker. He was um, being accompanied. And this fellow was a whiskey drinking troublemaker and he had tattoos like he could he was illustrated up and down. And and this fellow was watching these weird skits and this strange humour and seeing us cackle at each other. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what a night to bring this guy to. Of all things, that he should see Christianity like this. (laughs) And this young fellow came up to me at the end of the night. He walked up to me and uh, I said, oh, here it comes. And I said, hi there, my name's Jeff, what's your name? And he said, um, Mark. Mark. And he said, do you think would it be all right if I, if I came to your church?" I, went, "Well, I'll have to put that to the deacons." And, you know, and I think I'll have to give three months' notice. And, you know, you know. I'm not sure if we've got the right forms in the story. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And what that guy had seen was some little old thing called love. Authentic intergenerational love. He can't find that anywhere. He hadn't seen that in his footy club. He hadn't seen it from his his drug supplier. He hadn't seen it in his mates but he saw it here. Do you realise what dynamite we have when we break up the strata and know each other by name? It's a witness that some miracle has happened deep within the prejudice of our own hearts. That's what a church is. And it's dynamite. We are the plausibility of the stru- structure of the gospel. We are that, that little window that says, yes, it works. And you can come here and taste it. It's artless. It's priceless. It doesn't cost a cracker. But it's powerful. Well, we come to the third image. The third image is uh, here. Uh, Every pastor would love to have this experience. Every church member would love to have this experience. Here you have the inhabitants of city after city saying, let's go up to the city of God and entreat the favour of the Lord. I myself am going, you coming? And... All these Gentiles, these non-Jews, are grabbing the togas of Jews and saying, don't go to Jerusalem without us. (laughs) We've heard that God is with you. There is something powerful and spiritual happening in Jerusalem. Oh, that people in this community might say, we have heard that God is doing something in Kilsyth, South Baptist. Don't leave without us on Sunday. But when God revives the people of God, that's what you measure it by. It's what the outsiders are saying about you. That they know that something authentic is happening here. Let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. When I was uh, uh, young in dadhood, my second daughter had arrived and we took her to the local kindergarten. Um, and they uh, they got a new kindergarten superintendent you call them um, manageress and she had just come out of university, she had a honors degree in kindergartenness and, and uh, had all the theory you know she 'd written some of the best essays on on the industrial revolution, and uh, so we were very calm about that and um, and handed over our prized daughter to this person and she was very um Very convinced of her theory was that uh, the problems in society are the fathers. And the fathers don't know their daughters. She was out to prove that. And uh, so she ran a father's night. And we all dutifully rolled up to father's night. And some of us were in in suits from the city and bib and brace overalls from the mechanic shop. And people were all dressed in their civvies. And we rocked up about five o'clock to this father's night. And the girls ran it. And so, you know, there we were, all these big thumping boys and our, our wee little girls, and they were they were running the games. And we played, you know, Drop the Hanky and Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie. And, uh, and when we saw the donkey come out and the pin, we thought, <laughs> our courage goes so far. And a few of us caught each other's eye and we, we sort of motioned over and there was this McDonald's cordial barrel in the corner. And... And a whole lot of little cups, and we went. We thought we could hide behind that. It's amazing how much man you can hide behind a styrofoam cup. (laughs) And uh, so we went around, and we got the little kiddies' chairs, and we're all sitting down, hopefully not breaking these little plastic chairs. And we're sitting with our styrofoam cups. And and I discovered that this half a dozen blokes uh, all basically knew each other. They're all sort of inconsistent Catholics that kept away from St Peter's, the local big Catholic church, and they they'd known that know each other vaguely and. And so they went around the room and they, we introduced each other and I loved that time when I was waiting for my turn and was coming around and I'm Jim and I'm Bill and they and said, And what's your name? I said, I'm Jeff. And what do you do? I said, they said, uh, I said I'm said, i the pastor of uh, Murrumbina Baptist. And they go, where's that? And I said, oh, it's just around the corner. <laughs> it's just, they'd never seen it, never heard of it. And they said, what's it like? And I thought, oh, Dorothy Dixer, you're a beauty. And, and I just told them what a wonderful church we had. You know, we, we, we had, you know, the cast of Baywatch worship there. And, uh, and uh, you yeah, know, we had great music and uh, uh, we had jazz and we had drama and we did this and, you know, all the messages were relevant to where you live and that sort of thing. And they're looking at me. And I'm not getting the response I'm meant to. Bill Heibel told me they wanted this stuff. (laughs) And I've done all this for you. I've fought the battle of worship wars for you guys. And they're sitting there totally unimpressed, cordial dribbling out of their mouth. (laughs) And they they said, one of them just spoke up. And you know, sometimes people say things and you go, gosh, that's a phrase from God. (laughs) This guy's spoken better than he knows. This fellow said to me, well, I don't think I'd like that. I don't know how I could think about God with all that stuff going on. (laughs) And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. That's the point. If the world is going to stop playing golf on Sunday morning or taking kids to soccer, it will only be not because we cage our drummers, (laughs) it it will be because they've heard God is with us and they can roll up and expect to encounter the word of God himself through the spirit of God who delights to come. And that's what we have. And it's dynamite. That's what we promise people. We do not market people into the kingdom through our own appealing demeanor that's a recipe for consumerism that's a recipe for shallow half conversions that's a recipe for future apathy that's a recipe for the demise of the church in the west and the world and that's the recipe we've used for 30 years and we keep on madly doing it knowing it won't work what the world wants is no substitute we are the church without substitutes This is a place you come to, to encounter Jesus Christ, the soul, living, risen, ascended Lord. This is the one. This is the promise of the Spirit to be with us. And if that reality gets out, watch out. We need to be prepared that God might do such a thing in our place. If you don't anticipate it, I bet it's because you think it won't happen in your time. But now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. This is the time if we will have the faith to open our hearts to receive that Spirit who wants to draw the world to Himself. As a parable to finish, I take I had an interesting experience as a young pastor in uh, in northeast Victoria in the country and I got to know some wonderful people I saw one guy who was the brooding manager of uh, Tintaldra station which is around the bend of the river famous ancient cattle station and uh, this fellow was a fairly hard living guy and his wife had started coming along to our church's KYB group uh, women's bible study And he'd sort of turned his back as a lapsed Presbyterian many years ago. His parents were fine, fine Christians, but you know he'd been a man of the world. But he saw the difference in his wife, and so he started coming along. And then my wife and I used to go out and visit him at lunch times and take our kids out to play with his kids, and that sort of thing. Gradually, he made his way into church. One of my greatest joys was seeing on an Easter Sunday. This guy asked if he could sing Keith Green's Hear the Bells Ringing. That's a transforming power of God. And one day he said to me, Jeff, I'm going up to the high country to pick up our, our Angus cattle. I said, how many? He so said, we've got about 250 up in the Moragal Ranges, if you know where the Moragal Ranges are. And, uh, and I said, oh, that's interesting. How many of us are going? how do you get 250 cattle together and he said oh just me and the dog and I thought, okay I'd like to see that <laughs> and I went with him and it was uh, about this time of year it was winter was ending and uh, but the snow was deep so higher we got and I remember we forded a few deep streams in his Toyota and uh, he would uh, whip off his pants and, sh- and, and boots and hop out of the Toyota and wade through the, de- the, 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 the stream and come back in, put them back on again and yeah, we can get through this one <laughs> and uh, drive the Toyota through and out the other side and mile and mile we went on and, and uh, I thought we're going to be stuck up here, I just know it. We're just <laughs> and we finally made our way out, we found that we got to this high plain, it was like a, a you know, volcanic plain with a big ridge around it and the sky was grey and yellow and real wintry, calm sky and the wattle trees were bending over with no wattle on them but just with snow, heavy laden. wasn't a blade of grass to be seen. Not a cow to be seen. No bullock, no Angus cattle. Uh, I would have been happy to see a donkey, anything. But uh, there we were and we, we got out of the, 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 the car and uh, he stood there and he whistled. And I thought, I've spent two hours driving through wet streams to do this. Oh, well. Then all of a sudden, at the top of the ridge, this little Angus bull came to the top of the ridge. Shaggy black bull with breath pouring out of his nose. Wet little grey nose. and He's sniffing the air. Eyes like snooker balls. Uh, Both black. (laughs) But he's, he's there and he looked at David and then he disappeared over the ridge then all of a sudden there were about 10 of these little fellows, little chunky Angus and they're up on the ridge sniffing and looking and he's out there and David has this block of salt wrapped up and it's under his arm and he walks out to the middle of the thing and all of a sudden Angus start pouring over this ridge and the ground was shaking with the power and the weight and they poured down towards him and they surrounded him and he started peeling open this block of salt and he put it down and they're nudging around to get used to get near the salt because they've been eating rubbish for months and they crave salt. They want the reality. They've had the substitute. And they get to become familiar with him. And he looked around me and I was following this out <laughs> to try and see this scene. And he turned around and he yelled at me, get out of here, get back in the truck. If they see you, they won't come. Mm. And he did it all himself. He didn't need me. And they, the cattle got used to his smell. And when spring comes, he just goes up there with one hell of a big truck and he walks up with his salt and placidly they just fill the truck. He doesn't even need the dog. They've learned to trust him. He takes them to green pastures. Folks, that's the sort of game we're in. And I think what it's saying is that Jesus reminding us to use his metaphor that he's the vine and we're the branches? Apart from him, we can do nothing. But he does call upon us. If we're to be the light of the world, we've got to be the salt of the world. We've got to taste like we've seen a vision of the next world. Do you share that vision? Do you share that vision? That's what we've got to pray for. That we shall be the salt that the world craves. That's all we've got to do. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you for making this church, the church it is, fit for purpose, perfect for your purposes, for a time such as this. Thank you, Lord God, that when you invite someone into your church, there are no accidents. There are just wonderful miracles. We pray, O Lord God, that you might do a work amongst us. For this we ask, that we might be such a people of God that the world would see they have what we've wanted all along. And this can only be done, Lord, if you condescend to bless us with your presence and your power And the faith to believe. And this we ask. Change our hearts and our minds and give us eyes to see where the walls of the Spirit are. And where you're at work in this world this week. For Jesus' sake and his glory we pray. Amen.